Professor Bryn Brown's research shows that vulnerability fosters good emotional and mental health. It is a sign of courage. We become more resilient and brave when we embrace who we truly are and what we are feeling. The Vulnerable Scientist Podcast is a space for scientists to tell their honest and authentic stories. I am your host, Saranya Kerry, who happens to be a scientist, informal science communicator, and I help scientists create personal websites. If you want to support this show, go to www.patreon.com slash the vulnerable scientist. You can also follow this podcast on all social media platforms at TV Scientist Pod. Hi, and welcome to the, another episode of the Vulnerable Scientist Podcast. So for this episode, it's a little bit different from the previous, previous episodes. This episode was recorded earlier this year, 2021, with Priscilla, Priscilla Wakarera as the guest. She was the one being interviewed um, with Dennis Were and Valerie Kimutai. Dennis Were is from Planet Z. Um, Africa Media and uh, Valerie Kimutai is the MD for Science Media Africa. She is my colleague in that space. So I hope you enjoy this episode where she talks about her journey into science. So here's the first part of the podcast. So my name is Priscilla Wakarera. I'm a master's student at Kenyatta University. I was born in Kiambu County, uh, which was Kiambu District, right? So I was born in Kiambu. I was also raised in Kiambu. Um, I come from a fa- I'm the fourth born in a family of six kids. Uh, we have three girls and three boys, which is a really good match. Yeah. Um, my parents uh, were middle income. Because uh, my my dad is a contractor, is a building and construction engineer, and my my mom worked in pharmacy. So growing up, really for us was was a combination of of working with both parents. Because my mom would take us to work on weekends uh, to the pharmacy, and then we'd we'd hang out there the whole of the whole Saturday. For us, it was really for fun because we were really young then, about uh, five. After five years old, five, six years, seven years, so we really grew up um, around that whole uh, health environment, and it was fun. Mostly, we were there for, for lunch because she would take us to to lunch, uh, and that that's what we really, really loved taking your kids to work things that they had. Um, and then growing up later, when we got a bit, a bit older, uh, I grew up as a tomboy, which is which is really funny for most people who know me right now. Uh, but I really did grow up as a tomboy, and I hung around uh, my dad a lot. So it was really growing up on a construction site. Um, I learned how to paint by the time I was about in classics. I could paint a full wall. Uh, I wasn't very tall. I still am not very tall. So I could just do like half a wall. And that was really fun because it teaches you to to broaden your mind that even though you're going to school, you there are other things outside of the whole school environment that you can do. So uh, by growing up around that environment shaped, shaped us as kids because now we were able to, to maybe spend our weekend uh, at the pharmacy watching your, your mom selling medicine. 
having people coming in you're curious about um what is what is what is this medicine for what is this for things like that and then now going to the actual physical activity so we could really really do playing with a hammer and an eel so that that was really interesting for me growing up um so so yeah that was basically my childhood um and they don't think something anything really stood out except the whole fun growing up and playing with kids in the village thing uh it was really interesting for us yeah you mentioned uh you know growing up in the pharmacy environment I usually save this for last but at planet wizard most of us are actually pharmacists I think you're privileged some of us when we started pharmacy we didn't even know what it was <laughs> you just um, <laughs> my mom really loved uh, the discussing the medicine before so really curious and then uh, maybe some of the times when your your parent is pharmacy they tend to prescribe medicines for you instead of taking you to a hospital so usually she'd say you tell her you have this problem and she'd just tell you we'll go pick this up so as we were growing up, coming up we kind of had the whole idea of of either have a headache and get some counter so we had an idea of what, what type of medicine you can get over the counter and maybe what type of medicines you cannot get over the counter and also the whole spectrum of learning different ailments yeah basically for you at a very young age. So you grew up very healthy as well. <laughs> uh, very healthy. Um, well, for for a long time, I wasn't really a sick child. There was a small period where I was a little bit of a sick child, but that, I think, um, somebody said, <laughs> as a joke, someone said that uh, the second I, I gained a bit of weight was I grew up a bit chubby. I I didn't get sick anymore, so it has really worked. <laughs> Until we got a bit older, so so that really worked for us, yeah. And you know, there's a uh, anecdotal evidence that uh, when you have more weight, you know, it it means your immune system is getting better. Because if you look at places like a big clinic, the poor go there usually underweight. Yeah, yeah but so <laughs> anecdotal evidence is not very serious. But uh, there's also that aspect of, uh, you know, being active as a child. We have noticed something when, sometimes when you're at work. The ladies who are active growing up, they really take initiative at work and it shows, you know, and the employers notice. But having a culture where boys are, you know, they don't take part in housework, you know, they're just, they wait for the food to get cooked and things like that. They don't do housework. It affects their thinking later because they're not very proactive. So I think maybe we should be thinking how we, we, we raise our kids. I, I think so, but I also think genetics have a lot to do with um, whether your children are going to be chubby or they're going to be on the, on the lighter side. Because sometimes I've seen people who have really, really tried to have some of their children are put on, on diets so they can be skinny and then see people struggle to feed their kids more than twice a day, about four or five times to for them to gain weight and they never actually gain weight. So as long as your child is physically active, as long as they're mentally active and they're healthy, that's good. Because the whole being chubby and being skinny being as a child, that really has more to do with genetics than 
with the actual food you feed your children. Yeah, so uh, let's move to your education. How was education like for you know from the primary high school to campus and to where you are right now? So I started primary school at Upper Hill Academy, um, the, whole, the whole eight-year primary school. It was very interesting because I was very inquisitive as a child. I was also I was also confident by then. I was very confident. So I really used to be the, the child, the students in school who used to ask a lot of questions in class. Um, I wasn't a teacher's pet because teachers don't really like students that question too much. Uh, we would read ahead. It would be the type of kids that read ahead before the teacher comes into class. And then just before the teacher starts teaching, I would ask questions. So I would understand why the teacher would find that very annoying now as an adult. But but really, I was just that child in school. Um, I was a head girl in primary school. I was very disciplined. Yeah. It coming from me, or they actually put it on my certificate, so it cannot be false. Um, yeah, so primary school for me was was a developmental stage because it involved mostly interacting with other students. This is where you learn how to relate with uh, with other people from different backgrounds, people who are not really from your culture, and then. Um, it was a school in the metropolitan so now you're able to relate with children who have come from very different backgrounds people who have come from very different cultures and it teaches you how to relate later in life when you actually meet people uh, that you you're not familiar with it teaches you how to interact with them it hones your networking skills as well because you're able to assess situations and tell that this person can be my friend and this person can be beneficial to me in terms of schoolwork in terms of career later on so uh that was primary school for me i was very active i was in bible club i went on school trips a lot especially for the drama festivals i was in the music festivals at the primary level uh and this actually grew up on me um i think the most memorable thing for me in primary school schooling at upper hill was uh, my group of friends because i got um I had a group of friends where we were just three of us. We were really close over. We were really close. Three ladies, very close. We were all light-skinned, which was really a coincidence, really. Um, and then we would hang out a lot, uh, studying. We had discussion groups. We would form uh, drama groups. And coincidentally, when we finished our class eight and we had to go to high school, we were actually accepted at the same school. So we'd filled different schools. Everybody had their preference, but coincidentally, the one school that we'd selected together was where we actually went to high school. So I went to high school at the Middle League Girls School in Lower Cabete. The school was very strict, very religious. Um, the, the timetables were, were so strict. We used to wake up by 4.30, we go to bed at 11.30, and that really trains you to be resilient. Um, growing up, uh, especially in, in in high school, I was really into the languages. I was also into the art. So I really, really loved history lessons. I loved, I think the point where the time we were coming out of, out of school, we'd come up with a few clubs. I founded the law club at the Mary Leaky Girls. I'm not very sure that it's happy. I hope it's still there. Uh, but with the local, what we would do, we would organize for new recruits and students who 
who were in the program who did reports and have days where they are in active court session. And then also for, for like, um, have lawyers come into the school, teach them about the law. And then it was around, when I was in high school, it was just before we got the new constitution. So there was a lot of talk about constitution and and, and learning the law at that time. So that's when my interest was very, very high. And as I grew on that, and as I also grew into the arts and into the languages, I was also drawn into into sciences because I had a really nice biology teacher. And so that, that there was like a balance because so I balanced my arts and my sciences. So I was really interested in both of them in high school. Um, the school uh, was really strict in terms of morals and I think that has carried on for most people who have left the school, most of the alumni that we have. And even for, for the friends that actually went to with high school, you get there, you go to actually the same class coincidentally, and you realize that as people are growing, you grow into different people. So I think by the time we left high school, we came into high school, we were very similar. By the time we left high school, everybody had their own mind, everybody had their own interests, and we explored them. Uh, like um, we had one of them going into engineering so I went into sciences and the other one went into teaching so it was like where everybody diversifies so for me high school is really strong in laying the foundation for, for your future how you're going to develop later on and the Metriliki girls was really perfect for me in terms of, of growth and development in, in that in that sense in the sense of it now That was quite the journey. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> can we move on to now the campus stage? Because that's usually oh, uh, so critical for the youth. So after after high school, you're, I was just you just with the choice of deciding what type of course you're going to be doing for your for your undergraduate and. For me, it wasn't a very easy decision because growing up, like I stated before, everybody knew that I had an interest in law and everybody expected that because she talks about the law so much and she's founded a club on, on the law and everything, automatically she would choose that that would, would lead in that direction. And um, I really on it. But then, when I was in high school, I also grew a very big interest in the sciences. I had a very good biology teacher. Her name was Madame Carithi. She was very hands-on with this. And she, she really developed, she really grew an interest in me uh, on sciences and discovering uh, how biology works, basically. So, uh, in high school, uh, taking you back. So, in high school, I actually participated in a bit of in a bit of science congress. I did a few science symposiums as well. So we would organize for science symposiums at the Alliance Girls School or at the Alliance Boys School where we'd have different different students coming in from different schools and discussing just science and, and maths at the science and math symposium. So that was very, very interesting for me. And it really had a big bearing on my decision when I was going into campus. So uh, around the same time, still in high school, uh, I was part of the science congress at different levels. Uh, eventually, we were able to get to national level more for about uh, four four times since 
uh, since I was in form two. So I never actually won at the national levels, but the the fact that we actually got there was really was really motivational. And coming up with a project from scratch and having having the ability to present it to people who were outside of the of the of the classroom, yeah, it was really it was really it really helped us into into being confident in the science field. And I remember at some point. Uh, I think at the last science congress that I went to, we had uh, students from the Alliance Girls High School unit, and I remember very well that the project was on. Uh, they had developed. I don't actually remember what what exactly they were using, but they had developed uh, a treatment for hypertension, and I thought that was very interesting. And I remember going up to the girls after they had won to congratulate them and also find out how they were able to come up with such a good project. And talking to them, they told me that they'd actually gotten the idea from an undergraduate student who was uh, at the UON, who used to come in and teach them part, teach them part time on weekends at the Alliance Girls, and he'd actually introduced them to to that type of a project because he was also doing biotech. So I remember asking myself, I didn't really know what biotech was by then. And then after, after now we cleared high school, and I was dead set on on doing something that was science related. I my interest I found that biotech really suited with my character it it was really good for for my passion because for me my my choice in doing a, a bachelor of science in biotechnology was really based on the fact that I'm very curious because what a technology does it answers your questions and it also gives solutions so it wasn't like a theoretical thing where I'd ask like um what what can we treat? What, uh, what treatment can we use for this type of problem? It actually tells you, yeah, you have this problem, and this is a sample solution that you can use. And for me, that was very. That, that's actually why I actually went into studying biotech. So when I applied uh, for biotech, I selected to do my studies at JQuad. The reason I chose JQuad for my undergraduate was because they had an. They had an institute for biotechnology research, and by then I didn't really know what the institute was. But I automatically assumed that by studying biotech, I would be automatically admitted into the Institute for Biotechnology Research at Jaguar. Um, unfortunately, that's not how the program works. But if if you're inquisitive enough, like like for us, we got an opportunity to to actually work at the at the at the facility when you were free, when you did not have classes. And I think for me, going into campus, into JQuad was really a good choice for an undergraduate in biotech. The course is all-rounded. Um, for me, initially, I thought it would it would bear more courses in health and, and medicine and in that light, but mostly the, the units were based on botany. Uh, I was a bit reluctant at first because I remember being in first year and going to the biotech coordinator at the time and inquiring whether they're going to diversify the units later and they told us not really but that would be the basis for it and I don't think it was a problem really because at the end of the day uh, in as much as the courses were really botany based we are able to diversify into other areas like immunology and what have you later on as you as you grow on the unit and you also know that uh Bloods are where medicine come from these days. You know? Yeah, <laughs> so, uh, definitely. Yeah, when you talk about treatment, you talk about drugs. That's why all researchers are focusing on basically plants these days. Mm-hmm. 
yeah, and basically, most everything is is plant based. Yeah, it, it's healthier, so <laughs> that's why we are. Yeah, but going in, uh, and I'm very sure most most people in the first year would would feel this way going into into campus with with a notion that I want to study biotechnology because I'm interested in, in immunology and then you get there and every single unit was was on plant and identifying this type of plant and going to forest and this type of thing we were a bit reluctant because I think we hadn't really grown on it we didn't really understand that that was the basis for it after a while you understand it and it, it works out so I think uh, a little patience helps, especially when you're starting out in campus, huh? because it's always not very clear how it's going to end. Uh, so what about the postgraduate field? Um, okay, before I go into postgraduate, for, uh, for undergraduate, I think um, the one thing that students in undergraduate should really be focused on is allowing trusting the whole process and trusting that every single unit that you get given you as you as you're beginning your units it will always pan out to something because i remember uh we had a few people we had a, a lot of people we actually had over half of our group drop out after our first year because they felt that it wasn't really what they were looking for and then later on for us to proceed with the course and realize that it it actually was it actually was what what we had imagined it to be at the time because um after the first of the first year we had people drop out either some of them failed but some of them felt that they were not comfortable with with how the units were were, were being arranged yeah? so by the time i actually when we went into first year our class had, had about 16 people which was a low number but it had a good gender balance by then because we were eight ladies and eight agents and then um after the first year we were left with about eight people after that we left with about three or four people and our group had to actually be joined we with a group that had come after we had joined so later on we were actually merged with another group because we did not have forum for how many people for the people that could be taught in for that unit in a semester so i think people should really be placed uh, in the graduate when you're going to actually story that is what i really want to this is something that i have dedicated myself to do uh Units are not very difficult if you if you study very well. So also avoid avoid failing failing units because that a lot and they have to drop out of the course as well. So after my undergraduate, I I stayed for a while. Uh, I stayed for about two three years before I actually decided to go into my postgraduate studies. The reason I chose to to do my masters in biotechnology was because I did not want to I did not want to specialize uh, by choosing a specific field like when you 
when you've come from a bachelor's of science in biotechnology, you have background in almost all the disciplines of science because you're well-versed in biochemistry, you're well-versed in the physical chemistry, in organic chemistry, you, you have very good background on immunology, on, on molecular biology, on microbiology, on phytology. You have all this background on all these other disciplines. So we actually used to say, or it's actually said, I don't know whether they still say, but we actually used to say that biotech is the umbrella of the sciences because you have, you get to do a little bit of everything that that the whole course the whole course in, in the whole bachelor's of science involves so it's like you did a bachelor of science mainly and then you specialized on the technology part so when i decided to do my master's i wanted to do something that was also in line uh, with biotech i wanted to do something that was that would that would match with 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 that field i did not want to go directly into choosing either doing microbiology specifically because I did not want to close myself up to opportunities. I wanted to learn the whole spectrum and then know the in-depth of it. Um, and in in KU, they were offering that and the courses, the, the attemptable was so well drafted because I was working at the time and I did not want to do a part-time course. So I actually wanted to do my postgraduate and work at the same time, but also do it full-time. So when I actually explored uh, some of the timetables in, in the universities around, my choices were University of Nairobi, KU, and um, JQuad. Those were really the universities. And, uh, why I chose KU is because the timetable was very flexible. Our graduate school is structured such that people are able to manage their work at the same time and also either focus on their families for people in families or at the same time focus on their job so that's why i actually chose to do it at, at ku um and for me going into the program was 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 good because the cost back cost of the semesters which is really really fast you get to learn a lot of things very fast and then you get to the biggest part of the the biggest part of the postgraduate studies which in this case was was really get a now most people who go into their postgraduate studies especially when you're going into your masters because a phd is a bit different when you're going to your masters you do not most people do not really have projects that they plan on working on so you go, you finish your coursework, and now it's time for you to go into your project work so you can have your thesis for graduation. Realize that you do not have a project to work on. And then you also realize that projects are very expensive. And funding the project, uh, self-funding the project sometimes is not very sustainable and it tends to limit people tend to limit you on how far you can explore a certain subject. So for me, getting a project took a bit of time. I think it took me about it took me about six months to actually land on a project that I was comfortable in. Within this period, I'd come up with a project on antimicrobial resistance. And my project on antimicrobial resistance, um, I really wanted to do it at Cambry. I talked to a doctor at Cambry, and the problem at that time was we couldn't secure funding on time 
because we kept waiting for the funding and we didn't really know when it would come in by then. So uh, around the time as I was still waiting, we had the concept paper ready, everything was ready as we were waiting for to get, get to be informed whether we would be getting funding for the project. I got a call from one of my mentors and he informed me that there was an opportunity at still at KU where I could still work in microbiology because it was an interest for me, uh, but slightly different because it wasn't really on... It wasn't really on medicine based or, or that type of thing. It was on soil, on soil microbiology. So uh, for my postgraduate, when I was actually, so I actually went to KU and met met uh, the super, my, my supervisors. I met Dr. Ezekiel Mugendi. He had just received a grant from the Future Leaders, from, yeah, from the Future Leaders African Independent Research Scientists. Uh, the grant is usually for early career scientists like himself. So in his project, he required to have a team and I was lucky to have been selected to be part of his team. Uh, you've mentioned about, yes. you know, mentor, mentorship. And I would like us to explore more a bit, you know, the role that mentors have played in your, in your, in your, in your journey in science and whether you do some mentoring yourself. Uh-huh. I think for when when you're an undergraduate student or when you've just gotten into the sciences, the one thing you should really be very keen on is getting a mentor in your field. Uh, always have somebody who is well-versed in the subjects that you're interested in. And what this does is it, it keeps you in check. You're able to put yourself in check. Because when you have the tough questions like, uh, when should I start my, my master's studies? You have somebody who tells you, you can start immediately. You can just sign up and, and just finish your undergraduate. Go instead of tamaking for too long, you could just enroll into a program and then you can start tamaking when you're enrolled in a program. And having a mentor is very important. Uh, personally, I have a mentor. Uh, my mentor is Dr. Petroba Ojola. He, he's a lecturer at the Kenyatta University. Actually, um, when we met, I, I, I didn't really know what path I wanted to choose for myself by then. I was working. I work at a water company. Uh, I, was work, I was working in management. I remember I went to him and I told him that I've been working in management for a while and the business is doing well. But at heart, I'm a scientist and I really wanted to go back into the sciences. So, um, and he, he addressed me on the right path. Having to guide you on how to walk, how to draw your plan. Sometimes we plan like, yeah, I'm going to have to do my PhD at some point. But having somebody who has gone through the whole process to walk you through it really works because they advise you on the actual the the challenges that they have encountered themselves and how you can avoid those those situations. Um, also, you should also have at least more than one mentor. In terms of your career, have somebody who is very specific with you. And then also have a mentor for for your, for your career development. Somebody who is not necessarily in your field, but somebody who motivates you to be more than more than the more than a basic scientist. Because what happens mostly in, in sciences and for most of our mentors is they'll probably advise you just to academia a lot. But having another mentor who is also on the side may help you grow even as you grow in academia or as you're in industry, there'll be your guiding stone. You have somebody who helps you to, to keep tabs on your milestones. 
and also advises you on the on the outside of the science field. So personally, I do not have a specific person that I mentor, but I have younger students who are in their undergraduates who come to me for for support, and I offer it. Uh, openly, we have a few students who've been working in microbiology who've been coming to our lab, and we've been working with them uh, very well. And for the undergraduates, most of the most most people tend to pick a mentor later. But I think as soon as you're in your first year, you should have somebody that you're able to talk to throughout. You can have a mentor who is able to give you a few activities for you to do. Like for example, if they have a project and they don't necessarily need another person included in it but there are things that they do themselves they can actually train you on how to to work either in the lab to to write reports on how to to formulate manuscripts earlier on if you actually think that you actually need to so um having having mentorship is really important something else that is very similar to to mentorship is uh going into programs uh, that are available either in campus or even online we have uh, we have pr- platforms that are available for students where you're able to look for scientists um, i think there's there's one called science mentors where you can go on it and actually declare what your interests are online and then they will match you to to somebody who is in your field who will mentor you through it uh there are people who do blind mentoring where they select somebody especially people from upper income countries so far i think they've been mentoring people from lower lower income countries and they've been guiding the field of science and i think that's an opportunity that anybody who's growing in this field should really take up on um you could also select somebody who either you could have maybe one of your lecturers somebody who inspires you to to be better or something you look up to and you could just ask them hi would you like to mentor me or and most of, most people will say yes because there's really it's really not a lot of work mentoring someone so nobody would turn you down for such an opportunity so you really just have to have confidence in yourself and to identify somebody that you that has an outlook that is similar to what you project yours to be like if you look at somebody like you could look at a certain person and decide i would like to become a professor in future now this person just became a professor and i would like to know what their journey was and how they grew and i think if you are able to to interact with that person they will they'll be able to guide you up to up to that level yeah and you know uh perhaps as we talk about mentorship you can also talk about you know mental health because it's it's, it's such a big topic these days among the youth uh, so what has been your experience with mental health especially when you are you know juggling academics and you know the other aspects of life and uh, what tips do you give to to a, to a young person on how to best maintain their mental health is is really is really key especially when you're going into your postgraduate studies i think growing growing through the undergraduate studies uh we are able to to have a good life social life school by you're able to to have friends outside of the classroom and to to grow but now as you go into your into your postgraduate it gets very lonely especially going into postgraduate because most of your time is is on your project 
And some of the mental health issues that are very relevant, especially for postgraduate students, is um, imposter syndrome. And personally, I've have actually experienced that a lot. We still continue to experience it, and it's it's a very big it's a very big issue on on people because you're not able to actually go through your full potential because you keep thinking that because these other people have done this longer than they must know things that you don't know which is true and when you're asked to do presentations or to discuss your project or talk talk about talk about your work you tend to feel as if you're not doing enough and i think the imposter syndrome is the biggest issue that we have in the sciences because people tend to think that just because they're learning a subject or because they are it's new for them that they're not good at it and it tends to hinder your development because if you have imposter syndrome and there are for example there's a conference proceeding coming up most people do not sign up for it because they're thinking some people in the audience are professors these people are doctors and I'm just a master's student so possibly what if I'm wrong so it it really plagues people and it hinders your potential so imposter syndrome has been the biggest biggest issue uh in terms of mental health challenges and what it does it it leads to anxiety because every time somebody asks you about what you're studying instead of automatically being cheerful and going into what you do what people do is they freeze up and you start becoming anxious and you're thinking what if i tell this person what i do and they don't think it's enough like what if other people are doing better than i am and that is usually a very big usually a very big issue for most postgraduate students and it it prevents them from exploring their potential to the fullest like um there'll be there's, there'll be a call for abstracts and because you're suffering from imposter syndrome you'll not give it up and you have people who do not have these issues uh handing in their abstracts and their careers tend to progress faster i also think um most people tend because uh, postgraduate life is very is very lonely because most of the time we especially if you have if you're working you you have an 8 to 5 you're doing your studies in the evenings uh you're doing your studies on weekends as well sometimes you plan on having a, a weekend at home and realize that you have work in the lab that you need to work on and this takes away your time with with hunting with interacting with other people and it has led to very many cases of depression which is very sad because we've seen people mostly in in the labs who who have a clockwork this person comes in at 7 a.m. they leave at 9 p.m. even when we have curfew they're leaving at 9:30 and then tomorrow morning they'll be there at 7 a.m. and then they've built their whole life just around that lab so if anything doesn't work out in the lab it it crushes them and these people go into depression and i think that um something should be done about it especially for institutions like uh for example when you have in units they should have a wellness unit where students can be trained on how to function under high pressure how to function in in such environments how to overcome things like imposter syndrome how to control your anxiety whether how do you determine when you need to see a therapist when you actually need to see a psych to have a psych evaluation done and people should should be keen on on observing themselves like if you realize that you you becoming you feeling low too often there's always people to call out call out to to your colleagues talk to them tell them how you're feeling you know very comfortable we have a new way uh, for example uh, there's been a public service announcement 
because you've been having too many cases of people slipping into depression, you can go to the hospital. And this is very good for, for students who are below 25 years old, because when you go to KNH and sign up, you can get free therapy for anybody who is under 25 years old. Uh, they also, you can have therapy for, for cheap, for like 500 bob or 600 shillings at, at the very hospital. And they'll have a, a very assessment and give you support. And if you just need somebody to talk to, you, you always do. And this is where having a mentor comes in. Because this person has gone through the whole cycle. They, they've, been, they've been exactly where you were at that particular time. And most, mostly what happens is when people, uh, when you're overburdened with a lot of work and you do not know how to proceed, talking about it is, helps you because you're talking to somebody who has gone through the same thing. You're talking to somebody who has been at that particular point before and they can guide you into how to get out of it. So I think students and also any any scientists and especially the early career ones who take on a lot of projects at the same time, who even have a lot of students that they're mentoring at the same time, should really just reach out and um, and talk to somebody and maybe have an evaluation done because our mental health is more important than anything you cannot become a scientist if if you're not able to control if you're not in control of your own of your own thoughts and you're not in control of your own mental state having a good mental health is just as important as having good physical health and that's the problem because people tend to prioritize um, making sure that they they don't have bad physical health and they tend to neglect the mental health For that point about the, that wellness unit is a very strong point because I, I've always believed uh, university should prepare people for life. But what they do is well, give people a lot of academic information and it's so one-sided because life is more than academics. So I, I, I hope one day such a project can be started. A project that would, that would, in, that would be so well-inclusive that you know how they have life skills and entrepreneurship as a unit that's common to everybody. I think they should have a mental health unit so that even people can be able to do their self-assessment. Because most people on campus will tell you, I just feel lazy. I don't feel like doing anything. And the whole time, they don't realize that they've, they've slipped into a, a form of depression where they do not have the energy to actually go out and, and do things. Very true. Uh, the other thing, big thing that the youth face is actually, you know, getting a job. So you could talk to us about how you got your first job and uh, subsequent jobs. So after graduating, everybody is usually very happy because you're thinking, uh, I'll probably have a job. They'll probably be paying five figure at least. Um, just before you go into six figures, and that's what—that's what—that's the dream that we're sold. Because when you when you go into campus and you're you're leaving, it's, it's all happy. You finished your undergraduate, automatically you're going to get a job in your field, and you're going to excel in it. And that's the idea that we have. But unfortunately, and this is very unfortunate because this is very common in Kenya. Once you graduate uh, in the sciences, you realize that the opportunities are very few. Uh, you apply to jobs and realize that people want people who've done postgraduate studies. Like every single job that interests you requires you to have at least a master's degree. 
or even a PhD. And that that's a very big issue for Kenyans right now. And especially when you've done a course such as um, biotechnology, who are really working in biotechnology right now uh, at very good research positions, have done it as a second degree because the whole advent of studying biotechnology is still very new to Kenya. So, um, so most people did it for their masters. They did it as a second degree abroad, and others are doing it for their PhD. So, most of these positions are tailored for those people. So when you've just come out with your undergraduate degree, you realize that the opportunities that are available are not very many. So the first advice I would give to to any any students or anyone who is going into the science, take every single attachment you can find Because I remember for me, uh, we used to have very long breaks uh, for the for the long the long breaks in between semesters. There would be about between four and five months, which is a which is a very long time to stay at home. And uh, instead of staying home, I would apply at different institutions where I could go and volunteer uh, as a as an attaché. And I applied. I remember my first in, my first attachment was at Calro, the Potato Research Institute in um, in Limuru. And I I went there for about three months. And I remember it was very involving because I actually got uh, I got an introduction into into virology i got into a project that was working on on viruses that affect potatoes and it was it was very new for me because even at that time by the time i got that attachment we hadn't really covered virology as a unit in in campus so by the time that i actually went back to campus and we were covering that unit i actually had background on it like i the lecturer would be teaching and I could relate directly from what we were doing before. So take any attachment. Most of these government institutions may not give you a stipend for an attachment, but if you can get somewhere that is convenient for you, take those attachments. I was also, I think about uh, around in my, sec- in my second, my third year, uh, on one of those long breaks, I went uh, to the Kenya Forestry Service. Uh, it's interesting because when I actually got attached at the Kenya Forestry Service, I actually thought that they would send me to the lab, because, like I'd been at Calro, and I thought they would send me to a lab where we'd be working on, on on trees or something. That's the idea that I had. So after I got attached there, they sent me to a unit, and I worked in the office for for a while. I uh, kept waiting, kept nagging the HR. They actually wanted to do something more, and I remember they told they sent us to to environmental. Um, in the for, in, inside the forest and I remember the, the the person who was in charge told me that you do not have to limit yourself that just because you wanted an attachment in, in the lab and you have come to KFS and you were not assigned a lab you shouldn't quit on the attachments and, and prefer to go elsewhere you should be ready to learn about other aspects of science that are available to you so mostly on that on that attachment, most of it was environmental work, mostly dealing with trees, different types of trees, and um, learning how they're grown, uh, how they spe- how they select them to be specialized for the different regions, uh, and also taking care of them uh, in the in the in the in the nurseries and new new varieties that they were trying to they were grafting. So basically, that's what the attachment was for. And for me, I think that was very, it was very interesting because it helps you to learn that there is something outside of what you used to. Because uh, it's not, it wasn't lab work, it was field work. 
uh, it teaches you to be resilient. You'd come in all dressed up, getting oil and gumboots and going to the forest, into the mud for a full day. And that teaches you what a real scientist is. Because scientists are not just theoretical people, they're practical people. At some point, you're going to they're going to need you to actually step out of your comfort zone and go into areas that are that are not theoretical that you you're not just coming up with formulas and doing a bit of lab work here and there that you're going to have to go out there and and another project that you're working on so after after that i got i got an internship at calro at the horticulture research institute in kandara moranga so um and i think that is where i actually I think that was the most the most key one in in terms of attachment and the internships for me because at Calro they send you to very different labs you stay there for about almost about 6 months so they send you to different labs and you're able to to work in those labs um hands on like for example if you go my favorite lab at Calro was was on nematode research i didn't even know what nematodes were by then so you you're going into 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 a lab and learning basics it's like you just started a new unit in, in campus so take as many attachments and as many internships as you can because once you you step into the job market people won't ask you what you learned in school people will want to know what skills do you have how did you how do you get skills except by actually working at these places so um, most most people are afraid of going for internships that do not offer a stipend um some of the internships that really good places ask you to pay to be there like at at Calro HRI actually had to pay uh a, a small monthly fee for you to actually uh go there and learn and get the experience so really you're not paying to work for them you're paying to to get the skills and i think um it's really worth it it's really it's really worth your time and it's really even worth the money because the amount of money that they ask you to pay is really just for facilitation and it's not it's not much compared to the amount of wealth that you're going to get from it so after i cleared after i was done with my internship and i started tamaking for a job unfortunately like i mentioned in the kenyan market 90% of the jobs that you get um interviewed for are going to be in quality control especially when you've done the sciences when you've done chemistry when you've done analytical chemistry when you've done uh those of science and uh, when you've done biotech uh the jobs that are available in the market are quality control and to be very honest quality control jobs currently do not pay very well so it's actually very disappointing for most people um uh, it's a bit disheartening for for people who had gone out thinking no I'm a graduate I'm going to get a good job I'm going to to buy a car and I'm going to have a six figure salary interview and really what you should really focus on in your first in your first years after leaving campus is gaining skills focus on gaining skills it doesn't matter how much you're being paid as long as you're able to get yourself there okay don't take jobs where you're not able to actually afford the fare to get there but as long as you're able to actually get there take the jobs that are offered so um for me I actually got a job in quality control for spa aqua mineral water Uh, it was a new experience because it was out of town i grew up in in kiambu so i i grew up around nairobi a lot so now i had to travel all the way into into southern kajiado in loitoktok and i had to to work quality control there it was a new area so adjusting was a bit hard but the thing with with small farms and 
companies that are just growing is they there's a lot of room for you to grow so if you're able to to get into a small farm you grow more than going into a very big farm like for example going into coca-cola which is very good which is very good and they actually pay very well but chances for you to grow um career-wise, but once you start in quality control, usually fewer than when you go into small farms. So as I was working at Spa Aqua for a few, for a few, for about a year uh, in quality control, uh, they needed uh, somebody to, to work in management and I was already there and I started in on management. So now I was working management and working quality control at, at that time. So I worked management and quality control for four years until I actually uh, set out to do set out to do my masters so i uh, still work there so that's 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 good because it gives you a cushion and i'm able to to strengthen to to grow myself uh by going back to school